Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com earnings right now. NetSuite.com earnings. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is Bloomberg Daybreak here for this Thursday, the 9th of February in London. Coming up today. From bad to worse, Credit Suisse reports grim results as investors pull cash at a record rate. Iger for cuts, Disney's CEO announces job losses as he looks to make it the happiest place on earth for investors. Could it be game over for Microsoft's Activision deal? A UK regulator takes aim at the tie-up. Business lobby calls for tax breaks, Twitter runs out of characters and Boris Johnson makes £5 million in less than five months. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers and I'm Leanne Gerrans. Plus, the UK property market becomes a bit of a fixer-upper as sales and inquiries fall further. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Clients pulled cash out of Credit Suisse at a record rate in the final three months of last year. The $120 billion outflow comes as the bank reported a fifth straight quarterly loss. The bank saw a net loss of almost 1.4 billion Swiss francs over the period, versus estimates of just over 1.1 billion. The bank CEO, Erler Kerner, didn't mince his words in assessing his bank's performance. The results are unacceptable, obviously, and uh, that's why we created a new strategy, transformation program, which we, as you know, communicated end of October to create a new Credit Suisse, much more focused, simpler, built around client needs. And we'll have more of Francine Lacqua's interview with Credit Suisse CEO Ulrich Kona in a few minutes. The bank says it now expects a substantial full-year loss. Looking ahead, the Swiss lender also says both its investment bank and wealth management unit will be loss-making in the first quarter of this year. And now to other earnings just breaking on the Bloomberg Terminal this morning. Let's start with Unilever. Fourth quarter underlying sales uh, come in just about on estimates, up by 9.2%. The estimate was for a gain of 9.21%. Unilever sees underlying operating uh, margins will be around 16% in the first half of the year. They're also talking about inflation and the cost of that to the business. Uh, also, AstraZeneca, they report their fourth quarter earnings per share at $1.38. So actually above the estimated $1.35. Those are the latest in results. And Disney shares jumped in late trading after the company unveiled a $5.5 billion cost-cutting plan, which includes 7,000 job losses. CEO Bob Iger made the announcement. He returned to the lead of the entertainment giant in November after his successor was fired. Iger says the business now needs to tighten its belt. We are going to take a really hard look at the cost for everything that we make both across television and film, uh, 
because things in, in a very competitive world have just simply gotten more expensive. Uh, and that's something that is uh, already underway here. Bob Iger was speaking to investors after Disney delivered a set of upbeat financial results. First quarter revenue beat expectations, growing by almost 8% to $23.5 billion. Now, traders are ramping up bets that the Federal Reserve will now raise rates to 6%. That's nearly a percentage point higher than the current consensus, and it comes after last week's red-hot jobs data. Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller says that further tightening will be needed to bring inflation down to target. We have farther to go, and it might be a long fight with interest rates higher for longer than some are currently expecting. But I will not hesitate to do what is needed to get my job done. Waller isn't the only Fed official to talk about the need for further rate rises in the past 24 hours. The Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis President Neil Kashkari also says that more hikes will be needed to combat inflationary wage growth. And Microsoft's deal to buy Activision Blizzard is being opposed by the UK's competition regulator, which says the sale could harm gamers. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts reports. The UK's competition regulator says that it has serious reservations over Microsoft's $69 billion takeover of video game company Activision Blizzard. The Competition and Markets Authority says that one way forward could be the sell-off of the blockbuster Call of Duty franchise. The statement throws into question the viability of the whole deal which is already under attack from US regulators. Yesterday, Activision shares slumped on the news, putting them more than 20% below Microsoft's offer, suggesting investors think it could now be game over for the deal. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, other issues in the UK. So new figures show that the housing market here has slipped further into hibernation in January as buyers and sellers both stayed away. The Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors says the lacklustre activity uh, led into a further drop in property prices at the start of the year. The findings add to evidence that prices may be headed for the longest slump since the global financial crisis in 2008. And Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is in Brussels today, hoping to to secure more military aid in the fight against Russia's invasion. Zelensky will address a meeting of European Union leaders. Yesterday, he received a standing ovation in Westminster, where he appealed for fighter jets and warned Putin that Ukraine won't be beaten. We know Russia will lose. And we, we really know the victory. The victory will change the world. And this will be a change that the world has long needed. Speaking alongside Zelensky, Prime Minister Sunak said, quote, nothing is off the table and that Britain had begun assessing its plane if its planes could be sent to Ukraine. The U.S., U.K. and Germany have all previously ruled out sending fighter jets to the country. Okay, those are a few of our top stories for you this morning. Vladimir Zelensky goes to Europe today to uh, lobby uh, continental Europeans for more weapons. But he was here in London yesterday and it really did strike a very strong note. This is only the second trip that the Ukrainian president has made outside of the country uh, in this year-long war. Some of the phrases that he used um, were just uh, incredibly meaningful, I think, to people in the UK and 
you know, it was rhetoric, but it was also the kind of heart that he presented mm. to the UK that all the MPs were clapping. He's incredibly skilled at communication. Yes. I think that's something that's so important, particularly as we enter the second year of this war, yeah. the importance of keeping allies together um, in this battle. He really seems to understand the power of connecting with each country individually. Yeah, absolutely. We wonder what he will uh, do then today with European leaders. I mean, he did manage to move the needle for the UK. We see Sunak talking about exploring the possibility of fighter jets. That would be a very significant move. So um, that uh, those thoughts really about what was happening in uh, London yesterday. But this morning, of course, we've had out the Credit Suisse earnings. There's a T-Live blog on the Bloomberg Terminal with all of our finance reporters contributing. Um, but clients pulled out a huge number, $120 billion from the bank in the fourth quarter, deteriorating confidence in the Swiss lender. Now, the CEO, Ulrich Kerner, has been speaking to Bloomberg's editor-at-large, Francine Lacroix. Now, she began by asking him how he would assess Credit Suisse's latest set of results. The results are unacceptable, obviously, and uh, that's why we created a new strategy, transformation program, which we, as you know, communicated end of October to create a new Credit Suisse, much more focused, simpler, built around client needs, in the midterm very profitable, and we are executing at pace. And let me also say we are confirming all our targets we gave by yep. the end of October. So when do you think results will be acceptable? When will they be at a, a level that you're comfortable with? Look, we said this is a three-year transformation. We gave targets on, on return on tangible equity, as you know. We reconfirmed them. So it will take some time, 2023, certainly a very transformative year. And then we get better and better. What's your outlook for asset flows? So we have seen what has happened in October. Um, let me say that you know the outflows we have seen basically are more than 85% stemming from October and November. And if you click only in October, it's more than 60%. So what we did immediately after we could communicate end of October, we put in place an at least what the colleagues me, tell me, an unprecedented mm -hmm. client outreach program. So we talked in the meantime to more than 10,000 wealth management clients, individual as we talk, and more than 50,000 clients in Switzerland. And I think that has created very good momentum. So if I look into January, the group overall is net positive uh, on deposits, yeah. wealth management globally as well, wealth management Asia PAC as well, Wealth Management ASAPEC being positive on net new assets and Switzerland as well. So I think the situation has changed completely. So is this a trend that you believe will definitely continue and where are these inflows coming from? They are coming from different, different geographies, different places in the firm. As I said, Asia very positive, Switzerland positive in terms of net new assets, other areas as well. So I think it's, it's a really completely changed situation. When will Credit Suisse be reliably profit again? Look, that is a far-reaching, far-reaching uh, question. We said very clearly we will make a loss in 2023, and from there on, um, we will get better and better. But could it be 2024, or does it have to be? I mean, I think in the past you've said 2024, and then analysts are saying, look, it could actually be 2025. Does it make a difference to when you hit that target? Look, the difference is how we execute and how the long-term attractiveness for our shareholders will look like. That will be very attractive. But nevertheless, 2024, I think we should be profitable. Any cornerstone investors that you've been able to lock in? You mean with respect to CSFB? Yes. 
So we had, uh, as we said already in October, we had interest, strong interest there. We have several investors now being interested in coming in. We first wanted to do, as you have seen, the transaction with uh, M. Klein and company, because that's an important step to accelerate the transformation into CSFB. And now we are, you know, in very close contact and discussions with several investors potentially coming into CSFB. And so, what's the transaction looking like? For example, with Michael Klein's, how much equity well, does he get? So, as as we communicated, so we pay 175 million right. for um, for his very good firm. Um, this is, I mean, this is a very fair price, I would say, um, and. And you know this is a very accretive, earnings accretive transaction immediately, and it will strengthen our, our advisory capabilities, um, very obviously, and therefore accelerate also our transformation into CSFB. So I think that's look the whole transaction and the whole setup, as as we discussed already in October, was done, you know, to create long-lasting, significant shareholder value. And this transaction is one step on the way. Do you plan on buying other boutiques, actually, to, to change? No, we to said, look, the two main carriers which we are working on is the new Credit Suisse and as CSFB. Um, talk to me a little bit about client onboarding. So if we go back to, to some of the, the inflows or outflows, are you changing risk management or anti-money laundering because there was a problem in onboarding previous clients? No, I think we have we have done a lot of risk remediation over the last uh, two years. Actually, we'll do more this year. But I think, in this respect, we are absolutely fine, professional, and we onboard. We are even getting faster in terms of onboarding. So that's that's all well underway. Talk to me a little bit about compensation. I mean, this certainly created waves. There was talk about you delaying compensation or doing it in three transfers. What is the reasoning behind that? No, we, we, we are not doing it in three tranches. So we have we have an, had a big, you know, so to say, compensation day like the day before yesterday, and there were very small parts of the firm, particularly seniors in CSFB, where it was delayed a bit. But you know, we are we are doing that over the next couple of days. But overall, it was done globally more or less at the same day. So, what's your strategy on compensation and bonuses? Look, the, the strategy in quotation marks is, is, is pretty simple. It needs to be in line with the results, more or less. Um, and, and I think that's the current thinking and the, and the future thinking. And I think that is also something which is very important. You know, if you think about new Credit Suisse, that pr provides us with the opportunity to create an, also a new culture. And that is all what we are defining now. And I think the new culture when it comes to compensation in principle going forward will be, you know, you make profit, you pay bonus. If you don't, you pay the very little or nothing. So that's that's the culture around bonus going forward. Are you reallocating bonuses actually at the, at the bank? Like how you think about it? What do you mean by reallocating? In terms of the units. So is it? It, it seems pretty, I guess, intuitive that if you make a profit or if you do good, you have bonuses. Yeah. Are, are you taking some away from certain people to give it to others? Like, how has that changed in the last 12 months? Look, the, no, in principle not. But the only thing which we are doing, obviously, is, as you have seen, we, we, we cut at the bonus pool um, significantly, which you would expect, I guess, in a year like last year. But then we make sure, and that's maybe the, over, the only overlay we are creating, to make sure, you know, that we can really keep the franchise. And in this sense, it might be that you know a little bit goes more left than right, and so on. But in principle, it goes on the on the underlying results. Are you worried about people leaving the firm? 
Look, we have a tough bonus on the sense. We are we are in competition with all our um, friendly peers. Um, but on the other hand, I think I believe very strongly in that one is you know new credit Suisse, but also CSFB for our important colleagues on that side um, creates really something which they can believe in. This is something new. This is a good, very very good story. It will be very profitable on both sides, and that is something people believe in. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The Credit Suisse CEO, Ulrich Kerner, there, speaking to Bloomberg's editor-at-large, Francine Lacroix. I don't know how much you can read into his mm. tone of voice, um, but obviously he was saying that it was an immensely difficult quarter. Right, he called the results unacceptable. And, you know, he was quite calm, but it's really hard to understate how bad 2022 was for this bank. It was their worst year since the financial crisis. That is really saying something. And when you break out segment performance here, when you look at wealth management, investment banking, asset management, and the Swiss mm -hmm. bank, three out of the four business units there were posting pre-tax losses. So that wow. is quite substantial. Yeah, it is substantial. Although that the um that you know trying to refocus and think about oh, the yeah. year to come. Oh, aren't uh, they? Yes. yes. Positive okay. inflows in in January. So that is something yeah. at least positive to look forward to. All right. So that that's the upside that Credit Suisse is talking about. Okay. Uh, coming up next, business leaders in the UK call for tax breaks. Twitter runs out of characters and Boris Johnson makes five million pounds in less than five months. Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. Well, Bloomberg's Leanne Garens joins us now to talk through today's papers. Good morning, Leanne. 
Good morning, Charlie. Oh, oh, why don't we start with this Times headline reading that bosses are calling on Chancellor Hunt for more tax breaks to avoid recession. Yes, indeed. Charlie, good morning to you and great to have you on the show. So Jeremy Hunt is under pressure from the business lobby, the CBI, and this is to announce tax breaks for businesses during his spring budget. And they are basically saying this is a last chance to help the economy avoid a recession this year. And the chance will be presenting his budget on the 15th of March, so it's definitely creeping up on us. And according to the Times, the Confederation of British Industry has also called on the government to provide better funding for childcare that so people can come back to the workplace and also to increase green investment. And this will help prevent the UK from falling behind other G7 countries. The corporate tax rates will go up to 26% from April. Now, this is a massive reversal of Kwasi Kwarteng's attempt to really cut that rate to 19%. And that was during his mini-budget back in September last year. Now, Tony Danker, he's the Director General of the CBI, initially welcomed Kwarteng's mini-budget last September, calling the £40 billion blitz of tax cuts a turning point for the economy. However, as Caroline will outline, we saw a very different picture in the markets. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and also the issue, I think, for the budget is around um, the super deduction. So this is, you know, for a couple of years, businesses have been given the possibility of a big tax break if they invest in kind of equipment. And that's running out in March. So actually, the FT says the IOD and Make UK, they want that to be renewed. I think that's quite an interesting point. And we were speaking to the CBI just earlier uh, this morning. Um, and I thought it was interesting that Louise Helen was talking about, you know, I sort of challenged her because it's it's such a difficult moment in the UK. Are there really going to be any of these expensive plans like childcare, massively expensive for the government? Is that really going to happen? She said that's you know more than just rhetoric needs to come through from Hunt. I thought that was quite uh, an interesting line from her. Look, also uh, last night, if you were trying to tweet, the Guardian has Twitter users temporarily unable to post in the latest outage since the Musk takeover. What happened? Yes, so at about 10pm last night, if you were on your phone and you wanted to send a tweet, well, you would have been informed by the platform that you would hit your daily limit, even if you hadn't actually tweeted all day. According to The Guardian, the outage was the latest in this um, the latest one to hit the social media platform since the billionaire Elon Musk's takeover. But Musk did tweet actually saying multiple internal and external issues had caused the meltdown. The good news is it only lasted an hour, so you had to wait one hour. And the US tech publication, The Information, is reporting Musk did tell Twitter staff to pause this new development feature that they were working on. And um, just one thing to highlight, this new development features if you sign up for the blue tick if you subscribe to it you could send tweets with up to 4,000 characters which I think is a pretty epic move 4,000 characters I mean that's like that's essay yes yeah, it novel. is it's a novel, <laughs> it's a novel basically. Basically. yeah <laughs> All right, and then what about this headline in the Financial Times? Boris Johnson's earned nearly £5 million since leaving office? Oh, well, 
Charlie, not quite five million, just shy of that. So mm. he has declared an income of four point eight million pounds. And according to the FT, this is fifty times his salary as a backbench MP. So I hear you saying, how has he made all this money? Boris Johnson did declare an advance payment of two point five million pounds from New York's Harry Walker Agency for a number of future speaking arrangements. We also know he's had this mm. big cash offer because he's going to be publishing his memoir speaking about his three years yeah, well, in what office. What was the advance? There was lots of uh, lots of betting on how much he yeah, would get. It, well, it was apparently £510,000 oh, was the advance hmm. for that. The advance? Okay, that's it. Yes. Also, lots of comparisons to how much David Cameron got for his book. Mm. Yes, exactly. But I just want to say in one, one thing. In 2021, remember Boris Johnson told MPs they should focus on their parliamentary duties. You must put your job as mm. an MP first and must devote yourself primarily and above <laughs> all of to your constituencies. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.